The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, our guest is Anat Baniel. Anat is the founder and director of the Anat Baniel Methods Center, and she's a clinical psychologist and a dancer, which I'm very intrigued to find out how those two blend. She's also the author of a wonderful book, Move Into Life, Nine Essentials for Lifelong Vitality. Anat, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to be here. It Hi, is Cheryl. so nice. It's so nice to have you here. So where are you this morning? I'm sitting uh, on the second floor of a building in Nantucket, Massachusetts, looking Ooh. at the ocean. Oh, how nice. I'm, I'm visiting with friends, working on my next book. <laughs> oh, how great. How yeah. great. Well, before we end the show, we're going to have to hear what your next book is about. Yeah. Um, so you you have very interesting background. Um, I'm, I really want to have you explain to our listeners kind of how you got to this process. But before you do, tell us what is the Anat Baniel Method. The Anat Baniel Method is a system to help uh, wake up people's brains and uh, restart or amplify the process of, uh, in the brain of creating new connections, new patterns, and new possibilities for us. Mm. Both on the physical level, so either if we want to perform better or get over aches, pains, limitations, um, mental and emotional. Hmm. Hmm. You know, so, Cheryl, it's what people, if I may just say what is called today a brain plasticity. That means the ability of the brain to change itself hmm. at any age. I have known that it's so for many, many years because I've been working with it. And this is a system to intentionally communicate with the brain and get that amazingly powerful process to wake up and happen. Well, and, and you know, the times when we hear about um, really shaping how our brain communicates to us is around things like, um, are you hearing negative messages? Do you give yourself positive messages? You know, it's kind of the power of positive thinking. It seems to me that this goes beyond that. Uh, yes, it does. I mean, the, the habitual negative uh, thoughts are also pattern thoughts. Have their, everything that we do is, comes from patterns that were formed. Mm-hmm. So that is also the case. But this is much wider. It's really a, um, the general capacity of the brain to uh, reshape itself mm-hmm. and grow and evolve throughout life because the tendencies uh, to, for, you know, babies and young children do it spontaneously a lot, all the time. Mm-hmm. And then as we get uh, more and more habits and we get into our routines in our life, for many people, 
the brain is pretty much on auto function for years and years, and that's when we start getting dull, maybe depressed, hard to think, hard to do new things, and and we lose our vitality. Mm-hmm. So your background is as a clinical psychologist, mm-hmm. and you were you you were actually born in Israel. That's right. And um, you studied there, yes. Yes, I did. I went both to Jerusalem University, undergrad psychology and statistics, uh-huh. just to confu- confuse the conversation a little more. <laughs> and then uh, one year of uh, experimental psychology, you know, research, and then clinical psychology, yeah. Oh, wow. And so you, early in your life, you was it following your studies that you became interested in dance, or did dance come first? Uh, dance uh, uh, started in, in uh, elementary school, actually, oh, yeah. so it was sort of a parallel thing. Right. So I just danced as a child and then, you know, danced more in high school, and then while I was in college, I was danced a lot and considered it as a career, so it was like I did my my university studies and continued dancing. Oh, yeah. right. And, and so what drew you to the field of psychology since you were really looking at dance as a career. Yeah, it's it, 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 none of it, of course, was planned. I just loved dancing. Mm-hmm. I loved music. And I was attracted to psychology and to clinical psychology. I didn't even question myself. I just was. And as I was studying psychology, getting more and more into it and then more into the I, I was also uh, trained uh, when I was in, in uh, college uh, in the Israeli army. To, to, there was an attempt to do a prevention program for PSTD. Oh, post-traumatic and, stress disorder, yes. Yes. They didn't have that name at the time, but uh, that's what they were trying mm-hmm. to do. So I was also trained to work with soldiers, and I, so, and I, I earned my living that way. So it's sort of a mishmash of stuff. and. Mm-hmm. And but I was very interested in working with people, and um, as I was studying uh, and advancing in my studies, I realized that the part of the body and movement and the sense of self that is nonverbal was very clear to me and very important, and I wanted to work with that, not just with verbal communication. So that's when I started seeking ways to do that. And that uh, search led me to Dr. Feldenkrais, Moshe Feldenkrais, mm. who was an Israeli physicist and a judo master, oh, and wow. developed, uh, many people know of his work, the Feldenkrais work, which was basically using movement and awareness to help create uh, new patterns in the brain, mostly focused around what people would call physical functioning. And I found him, and I trained with him, and then I actually, towards the end of his life, I was very young, he was very old, I traveled with him, helped him with his travel around the world, and worked with him, and was uh, helped him teach. And, and, at, and at the same time, I was still in grad school, so it was all happening simultaneous, mm-hmm. and uh, thought that I would use what I learned with him is a psychotherapist, but it actually flipped for me. Oh. I started doing this work, and I just fell in love with it. Just uh, working with people and seeing the changes, 
I moved to the United States uh, soon after <clears throat> I was done with my studies and, and um, moved to New York and had the good fortune to start working with musicians and with the Tanglewood Music Festival and, oh, you know, wow. people like Seiji Usawa. And, and so the power of communicating through movement and started seeing, but because of my background in psychology, I also looked into all the aspects of the intellect and the emotions and how this whole thing works together. Mm-hmm. And another turn of event in my career, which has been extremely influential, was a one child by the name of Elizabeth from Chicago. She was a baby, and she was diagnosed with global brain damage. And I, it's a, a story, I won't go into the details, but I ended up working with her and uh, today she's a you know grown up woman uh, with two MA degrees and um married and runs her own business oh my. and, she, she, and so you worked with her when she was a newborn starting when she was 13 months old wow and she she had a horrible prognosis and and um and as a result more the parents talked to other parents and I started working with children with special needs uh, and that's when I realized how real it is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started sorting out, what about what I'm doing gets these kids to wake up to life, figure their bodies, figure their minds, figure their environment, and then took it back to that doubt. So it sort of bounced back and forth, and that's eventually the book, Moving to Life, The Nine Essentials for Lifelong Vitality. It's kind of wow. like that. What a history. process. And it sounds really like you... Um really trusting yourself and responding to what was put in front of you and rather than questioning it, just moving into it. A hundred percent, Cheryl. What happens was, first of all, I really trusted Feldman Christ. He was a genius. He, 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 he knew what he was doing. He, I watched him work. I listened to him talk later, you know, and then I traveled with him. So I, we had hours and hours of conversations and, and, um, I knew he understood human functioning and what he was doing a lot better than the psychology I studied. Mm -hmm. I I mean, not that the psychology has a lot of value, but I knew that he was, uh, you know, doing something extremely valuable. I also experienced it in my own self and my own body and my own emotions and so on. And then, uh, so, and the work itself is based so much in feeling and movement and you become aware of that which is happening to you. So you become your own observer and your own master. And then when I worked with the kids, you know, you take a kid that doesn't roll over, I do whatever with them and they roll over. Well, they rolled over. Or they don't talk and they start talking. Hello, they're talking. So I didn't question the outcomes. I just questioned... What about I, what I was doing was making the difference? And that's when I did that, and I started training people so I could have other people do it. And there are quite a few practitioners now that I trained that get wonderful results themselves. Well, and Bellencrais has quite the um, long-time reputation. And as a physicist, I mean, that, that's fascinating to me. That it, You know, it was someone with that kind of background who began to understand human behavior and how the body-mind functions. So what specifically did you learn from him besides the method, the methodology? What did you learn from him that was so key to this? 
Interesting question. Uh, for me, um, I think the most profound learning was about possibilities, about the over and over again experiencing within myself and observing others that something that seemed not possible to accomplish, that with the systematic, intentional process uh, can really move the impossible to the possible. The other thing that I understood uh, very deeply, even though it wasn't very much in the foreground of the teaching, was that it was all about the brain. It was all about the human brain. And Feldenkrais uh, understood that the human brain can change itself, and he actually had a, um, you know, in fancy language of physics, he had a thermodynamic model of the brain. That means it's a nonlinear energy system that its job is to put order in the disorder. And what I figured out is that the brain itself can work in different qualities, and the higher the quality the brain is operating, the the better the outcome it can have. So, for example, if I work with uh, someone who who was in a car accident and hurt their head, right, the brain injury, uh, which I'm doing currently, uh, so that's why I'm thinking of it, a very successful, brilliant man, uh, you know, car hit the tree. Two two weeks of being unconscious and then coming back in lots of rehab and then I entered the picture. And one of the things that I've been working with him the last few days is, and when we talk about the essentials, I can say some of the specifics of what I do to get him there and then people can use it in their own lives. But literally get his brain to to become a better functioning brain. So kind of like you can have a, a well-functioning heart or digestive system. The brain can also work on a higher level or a lower level. And so mm-hmm. to find solutions, we want a brain that is at a much higher potency. Right. And, and, and it took me, you know, a number of years to kind of really clarify it to myself. But once I did then that's what I go for. So even if I work with a two-week-old infant with, a, let's say, brachial plexus injury, that's a form of paralysis to the arm due to birth injury to the nerve, uh, as long as there's some nerve connection left, I'm, I'm not exercising arms, I'm not massaging, I'm not, you know, doing range of motion. I'm actually communicating with the brain, helping it recognize there's an arm there. And then within minutes, it can start moving. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so that's the, that the potency of the brain when it is accessed effectively, when it's working well, is staggering. It's really the most common word I hear from people I work with. Oh, this is like a miracle. This is miraculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I so to, would this so, would this also apply to? Um, Illnesses. I mean, you know, if someone has um, some sort of disease that's not not uh, brain related, um, at least on the surface doesn't seem brain related. Um, would would you be able to work with that too? So, are you uh, like give me an example? Are you thinking something like cancer or? Yeah. <clears throat> well, a, in terms of helping or fighting the cancer itself, 
No. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, no. Uh, but what I have done, and, and including people when they have cancer, is help them move and organize themselves at the, again through the brain mm-hmm. so that the, they are feeling better and and when the brain works well, it goes both ways. When somebody is sick, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. especially if you get very intense treatments like strong yeah. chemicals and stuff, it really zaps the system and it also zaps the brain. So right. anything to help it to come back and sort of recognize itself and come home again mm-hmm. to itself is very helpful, even if it doesn't affect the course of the disease itself. Because right. As long as we are alive, we want to have the best experience of being alive possible. Uh, I have found this work impacts certain kinds of uh, uh, illnesses. So, for instance, if people tend to get uh, bronchitis very often, Uh I found that my work can reduce that tendency, and I think it's because they simply start moving better, breathing better. And some of those processes are working better, so probably that's the reason. But I don't have, or if I work with somebody who has Parkinson's or MS, we can be helpful, but that's, again, it's because the brain is affected. Right, right. And so I, sorry to interrupt, so I imagine that um, if someone started doing this kind of practice um, before they were ill or before some, some disease or trauma, um, that it might actually ward off some of those things. I mean, can it actually interfere with a pattern that would create um, dementia or Alzheimer's? Very possible. I mean, I can't say it for sure because you have to do research to really check right. it. Right, but right. let me tell you that, for instance, uh, 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 my father has been doing this work for quite a while. He, I actually, he trained with me when, yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> a bunch of years back. And uh, he really, he was always very brilliant, and, uh, but he really, he was in his uh, early 70s, and he just sort of woke up to life. And uh, he's been doing very active research. He's walking every day for an hour and a half. He had to have uh, a surgery, you know, one of his uh, carotid arteries were blocked and they you know they cut it up and they clean it and they re- they do amazing stuff but usually people when they're 80 something and have surgery like that they start deteriorating yeah. i flew to israel i worked with him he has done the work before so it was very easy to connect yeah. with his brain right. and he's now it's 5 years later and he's he actually invented something that was financed by silicon valley and the, he and my brother have a startup <laughs> so uh, that's fantastic so, but well they, you person. you speak about um, nine essentials for lifelong vitality and when we come back on this break we're going to get right into that we'll be right back Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Tune in to It's Your Money with host Bill Pfeifferlich. You'll get an eye-opening education about some of the misconceptions of the financial world. If you are a business owner, working professional, or successful American, you will benefit from the information on our program. Our guests will include financial service professionals, international tax and estate attorneys, and CPAs. We'll identify solutions that you can implement now to get the most of your money. Tune in Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for It's Your Money on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Well, welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we have our special guest today, Anat Banyel. Anat is the founder of the Anat Banyel Method, and we've been learning some great things from you, Anat, about brain plasticity and access to higher levels of brain patterns and how we can actually influence how we experience life um, through some of these exercises and some of the ways that... Um, and that we engage the brain. So let's talk a little bit about um, leadership because, you know, in, uh, I'm an executive coach and working with leaders all around the world, and what I know is that they, they are what we lovingly call in their head a lot. And, um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, they, they use their brain, but I think they don't use their brain in the ways you're describing and I bet that what you're talking about could be very useful for leaders to be more present, for them to be able to um, be clear and centered. And so let's talk about the nine essentials for lifelong vitality and connect it to leadership. I'd love to do that. And, um, you know, when it's like when they talk or you said being in their head, uh, it's uh, almost the opposite of what I think in terms of being engaging the brain. But let's talk right. first uh, because I, for me it's uh, really learning to engage our whole self and all of our resources in, a, in an integrated way. And that that it really empowers us and empowers other people. But let, so let me start with the first essential, and that is movement with attention. So everybody knows that movement is important. Exercise is important. Uh, health uh, is highly related to to movement. And I want to distinguish when I talk about movement. I don't just talk about exercise, but I talk about movement in general. Movement is a much wider uh, field than exercise. And, and um, movement, uh, I realized through my work, is what I call the language of the brain. That means that the brain grows and gets organized through movement. So a small uh, infant and baby, if they don't move, uh, the brain actually won't be able to form itself successfully. 
And when we get older, we have already patterns mm-hmm. of movement that we just repeat. The moment we pay attention to our movement, the brain shifts gears and resumes creating new connections and seeking to find new find solutions to situations. So let me give you an example. Let somebody goes. Let's say somebody goes to the gym, and they walk on the treadmill. It's very valuable. The exercise itself has value, metabolism, all kinds of things. However, if someone takes five minutes of whatever, 25 minutes that they're going to be doing the treadmill and starts paying attention to how they move and how they feel as they move, that actually provides the brain with information, with new information, and the brain will start correcting the posture and how the person does it to optimize it. Mm. So paying attention to the movement wakes up the brain to start seeking to optimize what we do. A couple pieces of information. When the brain is in that mode, the rate of growth of new connections on the average is 1.8 million per second. Per second, one oh. per second. So it's just under a billion a minute. So you wow. do five minutes of and learning to pay attention to the self while you move is actually a skill. So the better you do it, the more potent. It's like an explosion in the brain. It's like all the lights turn on. Right. The flip side of it is if you move automatically and not pay attention. You're only grooving the existing connections deeper and deeper, and you make it harder, actually, for the brain to create. Less likely the brain will create something new. So when, and then when I talk about movement with attention, very easy or easier for people to understand it in terms of the body, you know, lifting arm, lowering the arm, right? Pay attention to how you right. do it. Right, right. The, the, I'm also t- thinking is also movement. It's a form of movement. Oh. Thinking is movement, and emotions are certainly movement. So if we want to get creative, if we want to mature and have more emotional options and be more connected emotionally, paying attention to our emotions but thinking of it in terms of movement or, you know, go to a a staff meeting that has been meeting for a few months and listen to people talk, and you'll see that most of the time people say the exact same thing one week after the other. Mm -hmm. Same patterns, same way of structuring their thoughts. People are very, very uh, habitual in the way they think. People Mm -hmm. are very habitual in their emotional selves usually, and in the physical movement self. And it's fine. It's working good. We need habits. But for especially for leaders, you want the freedom to invent and create based on the, the present conditions and based on your intentions into the future. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. So... Um, a lot of it has to do with self-awareness. You know, you have to develop a level of self-awareness in order to pay attention that deeply. And, uh, Actually, if I may say so, Cheryl, it's the, it's the other way around. The attention, oh. uh, from attention grows the awareness. Oh. So you pay attention. Uh, the, uh, one of my essentials is, uh, of the nine essentials, is awareness. So attention, for instance... You can sit in a movie and pay very close attention to the screen and what's going on, 
right. but not be aware of the fact that you're sitting at the edge of the chair. Right. So awareness is a whole other level. It's actually the highest level of the functioning of the brain. Right. So it's my last essential. But you're right. Awareness is terribly important. Otherwise, people bounce around like, you know, balls with no consciousness hitting <laughs> into walls, you know. It's not a very good leadership trait. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> yes. So, so you've talked about the first two, movement with attention and... That's running. actually one. That's the first one, movement with attention, oh, okay. sort of a combination. And the next one is... Then the, the next one, I, I, I might not be saying it in order, but let me look here. The next one is what I call the learning switch. Mm-hmm. And uh, the learning switch is, um, again, observing my students and especially observing the little ones, the babies, Um, But also in training programs, I would walk into a room, I'd be invited to teach in places, and I'd walk in and I'd start, and people would be there, and they would, like, be very nice and very, but they were, like, in la-la land. They weren't learning. Yeah, yeah. And they would bring me people, like, again, this person I'm working with right now, and and he's been in rehab and, and very, very committed to his recovery, but he's already completely habituated. Mm-hmm. And he just repeats movements, but it's kind of like nothing new is happening. And mm-hmm. I realized that the, 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 the brain can actually be in two different modes. One is a learning mode, and the mm-hmm. other one is a non-learning mode. It's almost like there's a switch in the brain. And one of the things that turns the learning switch on is the person looking to notice small differences. So, for instance, if I would do something with you or you do something with yourself and then all of a sudden your right shoulder feels a little different than the left or Mm. your feeling about your spouse has just changed a little bit. If you are interested and seek to perceive fine differences, you switched on to your learning switch. Mm-hmm. And under that condition, you go to study Italian, you learn faster. You go to learn a new video game, you learn faster. You'll have a brain that goes like, okay, what's next? What's next? What am I learning next? Um, interesting. Or you that's can walk in. What? That's, that's very interesting because, you know, um, I, I don't believe that any of this this type of thing is taught in terms of how we learn. If we think about um, when we teach kids in most traditional school settings, they are taught to memorize information, not to notice how they're learning. Exactly. So, the, and yes, I agree with you, and, and, and it's, a, it's a huge uh, missed opportunity because, again, as if you remember earlier, I said to you that the brain can work on different levels. And taking this magnificent human being mechanism, you know, in the brain and having it memorized, it's really training it to work on a very low level. And a lot of courses that's done in corporations and stuff, people just sit and kind of hear information. Mm-hmm. But the kind of learning I'm talking about is a learning that immediately becomes very personal and the person becomes very attentive to their own process. It all comes from the subjective, the richness of the subjective world. Mm-hmm. And then you connect it to, to objective, of course. And so what is the next 
the next essential, I love them all. They're all like my babies, but I like <laughs> them a lot. And that is what I call subtlety. And, uh, you know, in the book, it's experienced the power of gentleness. So when we want to learn to do or get better at doing something, the tendency is to use force, to try harder, mm. to to push a little bit more weight, to effort a bit more emotionally. I mean, the idea that force is the way to outcome is very deeply ingrained in all of us. And sometimes it, it helps. I mean, there are times when we do need force. But again, the brain is an information system. It's not a mechanical system. It's not a truck. It doesn't lift the weights directly. It has muscles that are its slaves. But the brain works with information. And what happens when we reduce the force is that our ability to perceive differences increases. And the perception of a difference is the unit of information the brain works with. Or in other words, my definition of intelligence is our ability to perceive a difference. So I work with, again, right now I'm working with a child that you simply, if you don't, you know, dance around it, she's retarded. And she doesn't get it. She doesn't notice things. She doesn't see. And as I'm working with her, I'm working on her ability to perceive things, to perceive that this is different from that. Higher, shorter stronger, weaker. And, you know, she started talking. She wasn't talking. She's seven years old. But the moment her brain became better at that, spontaneously language started coming. A good leader, one of the qualities is someone that doesn't overuse force. I think you would agree with me, right? Unless we're back into dictatorship style. And a person that really perceives five fine differences and knows how to work with them. So right. if you have a worker that he notices that when the, they're in a room with green walls, they function well, and when they're in a room with yellow walls, they get a little depressed, mm-hmm. they would go and bring a painter and paint their office green. <laughs> I mean, I know it's right. a silly example, but oh, yeah. reducing the force increases the capacity of the brain to notice differences, and that's the information the brain can work with, and the only thing, if we do not perceive a difference, it does not exist for us. Okay. So we can't do anything about it. It's We're blind to it. Reducing the force physically, again, working with somebody now, it took me a week to get this man to believe me and to be, start using less and less force in his movements. And he was barely able to balance walking, and yesterday he was able to take, put on a shoe and take it off standing on one leg, not leaning into anything. Because all of a sudden his brain is, is healing. It's becoming, working better, and he can notice where, what to do with his body to not lose balance. That so that, sorry? That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And the same thing is emotional. I mean, you know, I, most of us have tried to get someone in our life to change something emotionally by getting really upset or by yelling or getting angry, and probably we all noticed how successful that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. you, yeah, <laughs> I mean, so. <laughs> not so. Or try to be, a, you know, force your teenage kid into something. You know, it's it, it really not a very. It you know it does something, but it's not sophisticated and it doesn't 
begin even closely to use the potential of our brain to to elevate us. Well, and you know, I when I work with leaders, um, one of the elements we work with a lot is developing awareness and and developing a way of seeing. You know, I call it a way of seeing, and it's exactly what you're talking about. It's about being able to discern and notice enough what's really happening beyond the words you're hearing or beyond what people are um, even outwardly behaving. There's, there's a lot of nuance that people have to be able to see as leaders and experience and then act on. And um, what you're talking about are ways for them to um, actually build that muscle. Exactly, because I couldn't. I totally agree with you, and the question is, how do you get it? But we are as we can only perceive to the degree that we are refined. Right. And reducing the force increases the brain's and the refinement, the ability to perceive refinement and complexity. We can then, you see, a big part of a leader. Actually, there's a whole you know, mathematical theory about that. I won't go into it now. But the the person who is a leader is the person that actually is most capable to organize and see the uh, perceive the most complex situation, you understand? So it's it spontaneously gives them the more capacity than everybody else and, and they become natural leaders or naturally should be the leader. Right. And but in order for, for that to happen the brain of that leader needs to be able to uh, organize and perceive highly complex situations and notice the relationships between the parts. That's the sensitivity you're talking about. And reducing reducing the force of anything, you know, physical force, emotional, uh, mental, like uh, people believe that that's the right way and that's the only way. That's Mm -hmm. very primitive. You know, reducing the force spontaneously increases the intelligence. It makes so much sense. And uh, we're going to talk more about this and continue on through the nine essentials when we come right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. You want to know the inside scoop on how today's leaders do business? How they hire and develop top talent? How do they retain top employees and customers? 
Tune in to Leadership Leverage on the Voice America Business Channel. Every week, Dr. Robert Denker will offer ideals and facilitate discussion with guests that will help shape today's up-and-coming leaders as well as established leaders in their fields. Listen for Leadership Leverage every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations with Cheryl Escovito and Anat Banyel. So, Anat, uh, we've been talking about the nine essentials, um, how you move into life, and we have covered the first three. Let's move into the fourth one. Uh, the fourth one I call variation and enjoy abundant possibilities. Again, uh, when uh, uh, the way the brain learns is by perception of differences. So one is, like we said before, we reduce the force, we become more sensitive, we perceive differences or changes. Another one is to bring in differences on purpose. So, uh, for instance, uh, an example, I work a lot with musicians, as I told you, and I worked with this world-class cellist that was having some back and shoulder pain and was interfering mm. with his ability to play. And I asked him to play for me, and so he played beautifully, but he was so rigid. He was playing the right way. He was playing the way he was taught as a child. And in that right way, there were some elements that were, over time, created the pain. So, and I had a short time with him. It was in Europe, and I was traveling, and so I... I asked him, and I write about it in my book uh, in more detail, but I asked him to to play a, a, for me a very simple, like a child song, you know, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And uh-huh. that was already a variation. He was a little shocked, and I reassured him that I know he's a great musician and he can play more <laughs> than Twinkle, Twinkle, <laughs> you know. But that already got his brain to wake up a bit. Oh, and and then I asked, and he played, you know, the first two phrases, and he, of course, played it perfectly. And then I said to him, now play it for me badly. Backwards? And, what? Did you say backwards? Badly. Poorly. Oh, oh I see. Badly. Played, mm-hmm. played badly, not well. Mm-hmm. And he was stopped. I mean, it's like he spent his whole career playing well. Yeah. And I said, so I said, do you have little students that you teach? He said, yes. I said, do you remember how some of them play initially? He said, yes. I said, well, imitate them. Uh, so he played badly. I said, that was terrific. I said, <laughs> play badly in a different way. And he thought for a minute, and he played badly in a different way. And I got him to do it four times. On the fifth one, he couldn't find it in another way. <laughs> And while he was doing it, I was also moving him a bit, you know, the, using my, my method. So, and then, I, and then when he was done, we were done with that, I said to him, now play. He, was, he first played to me a piece of Schubert piece. And I said, play again. And he played beautifully, and the pain was gone. Oh, my. But now, he, I gave him other things to do, how to, but... It just gave the brain, it flooded his brain with new information, gave him the freedom to do it differently. Because when something doesn't work, hello, 
don't try to do it the same way, hoping it's going to work, right? Right, right. So variation is, another way of calling variation is play. Play is variation. Yes, and, 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 or intentional mistakes. How many ways can you do something wrong? It's actually pretty Mm. challenging. So uh, the next, the next, the next uh, essential is the fifth one. So what is that? Is that that is slow? Uh, and so for a leader, just to finish on the variation, I know we need to move a little faster, but the, to finish on variation, leaders, you know, some leaders walk into the office and they want their uh, people to do things just right. Mm. But people can take a variation break or let's do things badly on the side where it's not risky and come back and see how well we're doing. It's really helping people become creative. Now, the next uh, one is slow. Fast, we can only do what we already know. So if you work with people or with yourself or with a group and you want every something to shift, if you want something new to happen, if you want people to become conscious of what they're doing, you need to slow down. The brain will not do anything new if people are rushed because it goes to the default, and the default is always the existing uh, old patterns. Slow is so powerful that very often all, when somebody has a limitation, trouble, all you have to do is slow down, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. things just fall in place because it gives time for the processing time and, again, the awareness that you keep bringing up. Slow is an opportunity for us to feel what's going on and to become aware. Very powerful, very important, and very counterintuitive for people. Mm. Usually people think, oh, if I'm going to get good at it, I must do it fast from the beginning. Mm. Mm. Once you do it slow for a while, you can start speeding it up. Uh, But You see, but start with slow, and if something is not working well enough, back off, slow down. If you want to, you know, like I, when somebody like a plumber or an electrician come to my house and I ask them to fix, if they go into whatever the problem is real fast and start doing things, I know that they're not very good. Mm. But if they take their time, they look, they study, they check, and then go in, I always feel a lot safer about their right. intelligence. Yeah. That makes and skill. sense. That makes sense. Yep. So the, the next, next one... Is- is a, a one that I love again, and is I think incredibly important for leaders. You'll probably recognize it, and I call that enthusiasm. Turn the small into the great. I talk about enthusiasm as the adult form of childish excitement, and I talk about it as a skill. That's the capacity to walk into any situation and find something to be enthusiastic about. Mm. Leaders, actually, I believe, and I'm curious to know if you'll agree with me, that's what leaders do. So let's say if there's something going on, the economy is not great, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And everybody, so everybody go, reaches an agreement how awful it is, and people start getting depressed and fearful, and a leader will walk in and say, yes, 
However, this is a remarkable opportunity to develop alternative energy, and it's an amazing yes. time to do alternative, uh, you know, education. I just was invited to a small uh, brunch uh, yesterday, two days ago, with the president of MIT, a wonderful woman, and she's a leader. She find, she's enthusiastic in the worst conditions. Yeah. What that does for the brain, the brain creates patterns and decides which to keep and which to not keep based on the emotional value associated, the intensity associated with that pattern, both Mm -hmm. negative emotions and positive emotions. So when you get enthusiastic about what you like, when you notice something in your employee or in yourself or in something in the situation that you like and you internally generate the feeling of enthusiasm, you don't even have to say anything, but you could, that pattern in you and that pattern in your environment is going to be reinforced and more likely to repeat itself. So... so let me be clear, is the the negative pattern, could, could the brain think that the negative pattern has value? You see, the brain is neutral. The brain doesn't have um, a value judgment or, or moral judgment. The brain just has the way it works. So on one hand, the brain is brilliant. On the other hand, the brain is just the brain. It does what it does the way it's built to do it. So the brain... Strong emotions uh, uh, groove in the patterns more powerfully. So that's why trauma is remembered very powerfully. Even though it was very yeah. negative, it would be great yeah. maybe not to remember it so well, right? Right, right, right. So being so, intentional about um, what we pattern is vital. I, I didn't hear you very well. Can you say it again? So being intentional about what we pattern, you know, what we what we oh, yes. is is vital. Yeah. Incredible. That is where that's why I talk about enthusiasm not as a reaction but as an action. It's a yeah. skill. I have trained myself to do that. I work sometimes with people with very severe conditions. Mm-hmm. And all the evidence shows, oh, they're never going to walk, they're never going to be fine, they're never going to talk, they're never going to do this, they're never going to do that. And it's very easy to reach that agreement, and the doctors have reached that agreement, and the families reached that agreement, and they're not bad. I mean, it's really so, except I look and I see one opportunity where I see that that brain is figuring something out, and I say, okay, it's possible. I can right. go there. That right. person can go there. So I'm the leader. I'm a very powerful leader that way. Now, I have to have either that doubt join me in that. I train my students to become enthusiastic about the smallest of changes in themselves. Mm-hmm. That's when the miracles start happening. I always say, once the miracle happens, every idiot can see it. Excuse my language here. <laughs> it takes, but it takes a leader to see the miracle before it happened. Before it happens, yes. So, so take a stand. So looking at what looking at what's possible is important, which leads us to the next essential. Which is <laughs> I like how you do it, you're very smooth. <laughs> is uh, after enthusiasm we have 
uh, goals. I call it flexible goals, make the impossible possible. That's, again, terribly important for leaders. We all, we need goals. Goals are important. The problem with goals is that many people, once they have a goal, try to reach the goal now. They don't, there's no room for the process. And the process keeps being judged against whether I've arrived yet or not. And that limits enormously the freedom of the self and the brain to resource different, whatever the sources may be, to get us to accomplish the goal. Because from where we are now, we don't know how to accomplish the goal or we would have already accomplished it. So when I said to accomplish a goal, the very first, there are two things I say. I know it's possible. I take the stand that it's possible. And I totally know that I have no clue how to get there. And I'm completely comfortable with both at the same time. And then I start doing stuff. And I might take a detour for a week to the right. And then I might take another detour for a month somewhere else doing something else. And then I meet uh, Cheryl and I talk to her and she gives me an idea. And all the time, the back of my mind is working on figuring it out. Because and so I set the goal. We have, left, we, have, we have about a minute left here. Okay. Um, we have um, the eighth essential is, is imagination. Imagination and dreams. Dreams are our guide from the future. And imagination is one of the most powerful ways to use the brain. So I would recommend to anyone and to any leader to train themselves and their people in imagination. Mm-hmm. And it's also a skill. And, I, you know, again, I, you can learn it through the book, how to do it. Right. And right. then the last one is awareness. Thrive with true knowledge. Awareness is a unique human capacity of being our own observer, knowing that we know, knowing that we don't know, and always moving into great, and it's again, it's a skill. It's not a state, I don't see it as a state of mind. I see it as the capacity, and the more we are capable of awareness, the more that skill is, the more human we are, the more mature we are, and the freer and more joyful we become. So, oh, not people are going to want to know more about this. How can they learn more about this and, and maybe contact you? Okay, so the name of the book is Moving to Life, The Nine Essentials for Lifelong Vitality, and it can be bought, you know, online through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, sure. and through some bookstores. And my website is www.anatbanielmethod.com. It's a n a t B, like baby, A-N-I-E-L-M-E-T-H-O-D.com, anadbanielmethod.com, and there they can find out about how to work with, we have, you know, private lessons, there, at-home programs, and so on and so forth. That's fantastic, and it has been so wonderful to have you with us today. This is very powerful, critical information um, for living a full life creating new pattern thoughts, and waking up the brain. The book is Move Into Life, Nine Essentials for Lifelong Vitality by Anat Banyel. Thanks for being here, Anat. And remember, everyone, to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. 
Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 